back in 1986, a goth friend of mine from the Bay Area, the guy who got me into Bauhaus and uh, Susie and the Banshees, he was visiting his grandparents in Sacramento. And he was hanging out in the park, smoking cloves and playing guitar, when some dude came up to him and said, where are you from? And my friend said, I'm from Berkeley. And the guy said, well, you should go back. There aren't any music weirdos like you in Sacramento. All right, why am I telling you this story? Well, you'll see in a second. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. We're all weirdos here. Check this out. One of the new wave boys, I was no punk rock legend in the wings. But bits of broken toys, I took my teenage temper out on things. One of the new wave boys. Across the drama pond we go. From LHR to SFO. The Richmond Bridge is crumbling. Across the drama pond. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Anton Barbeau. Let me tell you a little bit about Anton Barbeau. All right, before we get started, let me say this. One of the great pleasures in life is finding fellow weirdos. And that guy back in 1986, well, he was wrong. We're everywhere. Anton Barbeau is from Sacramento, and he's a music weirdo in the best sense of the word. He's one of the most innovative, idiosyncratic, and fascinating musicians on the planet. The singer-songwriter is an inventive lyricist armed with a postmodern wit, literary smarts, and a melodic sensibility that brings to mind the work of everyone from XTC to Robin Hitchcock. His CV is a pop lover's dream. He's shared the stage with Weezer, Julian Cope, and Mono. He's collaborated with The Loud Family, Kimberly Rue of The Soft Boys, Cake, and XTC's Colin Moulding. He's produced a bunch of albums, including two by Allison Seconds, who's the wife of Seven Seconds frontman Kevin Seconds. And over the course of his fascinating career, he's put out over 20 albums, including his brand new double CD set, Manbird. And that is a dazzling collection of soaring pop gems that jangle and roll and lift off into the most peculiar and wonderful of stratospheres. Stereo Embers Magazine senior editor Dave Cantrell described Anton Barbeau better than I ever could. Here's what he said. With his Cali-inflected Bowie-esque pop croon, lyrics that crossbreed Andy Partridge's skewed intelligence with Robin Hitchcock's skewed wit, and his petulantly easygoing faculty for shaping pop structures to his every whim. There are a number of things that come as no surprise when it comes to Anton Barbeau. Also not surprising, he was awesome to talk to. So here's two weirdos, me and Anton Barbeau, having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I'm so compulsive about writing. I'm very prolific, but it's... Um, for, for me, that's just so normal. And so, if um, when in 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 the two minutes that I'm not writing something new, I I can have that that anxiety that I'm I'll never write again. That's normal. It's just maybe yeah. exacerbated by having 
one big block of time, seemingly endless right now, where I'm not moving, I'm not traveling, so I don't have, I don't have the excuse of, of getting on a plane and flying to, you know, England or something like that, um, to break up my, my, my time. Uh, so it's all right here. I'm always in the same chair. And so I think, I think any, any pressure is just generally more experienced from, from inside my own ego, you know? And you've always been a man on the move. I mean, you're not a guy who would stay in the same place for very long. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's at the heart of this, this Manhood album is the, the constantly being in motion, um, never quite knowing how to settle or what, what home exactly is because home is two months here and then it's two months there. And, yeah. Um, with five airports in between or a tour in Spain or a tour in England or so forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been living kind of literally with permanent jet lag for years. And it's um, really weird. I mean, just in the past couple of weeks, I feel like I, I've, I've um, somehow the ghost of jet lag has come back to haunt me. I start falling asleep at seven o'clock and I wake up at five in the morning um, for no good reason other than, you know, residual lurking jet lag or something. Uh, but I haven't been on a plane since March. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting time because it's sort of like where you think because I have all this time, um, I, should, I should come out of this with, with production, with work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost feels like um, if, you, if you don't do something in a day, it feels like there's more of a, um, you know, that you've wasted the time in a way that you wouldn't think. Right, if right, there right. wasn't a bit, you know, you would allow yourself a wasted day or two in a non-pandemic world, probably. Right. You might not even register it all the time. Whereas now, right. yeah, exactly. Now you feel an obligation to the world or to yourself or to the internet or, or to where, whatever the, you know, the entity that judges, you know. <laughs> the um, entity that judges. And, and is, is there also something about the fact that you are not in motion that your brain works in a totally different way. So if you're talking about five airports and going from here to there and knowing you're only gonna be there for this amount of time and here for another amount of time, doesn't, isn't your brain wired in a way that is sort of expecting man-bird movement and now that's not happening? Certainly, certainly. You know, it's when you, you know, I, and I know we're all going through this. It's kind of like, you know, is it Wednesday? But what, it was just Wednesday, Yesterday, you know that everyone everyone's going through that right now. It's all one blur sometimes, and um, so rather than having things you know, delineated by you know the next round of travel or or whatever the thing is, you know, work or the weekend or the things that break up our 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 our, our image of time, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we're all sort of we're all become we've all become very blurry creatures, and you know, of course, at the moment. So many of us in California are experiencing the smoke, right? The fires mm-hmm. and the smoke. And that, that just adds to this, literally adds this haze to things. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the, one of the things that I did release, so the, the, the thing that I recorded and released uh, sort of secretly, just, just on Patreon, it's called The Falco Years. And the, the sort of the joke behind the title was that when I first landed in California in March, um, uh, we were listening to a Falco record every night at dinner. And I just thought, oh, I want to make a record like that, a record that sounds good like that. It's got a drum machine on it. And, it's, and, it's, and I knew it was just going to be me. 
I wasn't going to reach out to other people and have people send me tracks or anything like that. And, and because of the pandemic, I'm not going to have my, I'm not going to go record with my drummer and bass player in Sacramento or whatever. So um, I wanted to do this record that, that was going to reflect just me here now. And, and when I finally sort of finished enough of something and just thought, okay, I, you know, cause I, part of it's just needing to get out of my system. That's just my compulsive way with music. Um, so I released it on Patreon um, and, and it's, it's got some nice stuff, a, a couple okay songs and some nice sounds, but a part of what I was wanting to do, the experiment for me was, well, what is this moment going to sound like to me? And it, it's completely devoid of reference to the pandemic or isolation or lockdown. There's none of that in there. It's just me very, being very whimsical. It's that side of my, my personality. There's no, there's no emotional anything to it though. It's just, oh, there's a nice drum machine sound and there's a good synth, there's a little vocoder and it's just sounds, but it's not really, it, it doesn't have a lot of substance, which is you know why I knew I wasn't going to release it to the, the bigger world. It was more mm -hmm. just for my sort of secret fans who might want to know what I've been up to in the past four months or whatever. But I mean, to be fair to Falco, I mean, that, that, <laughs> is, that is sort of what he was doing too. I mean, in other words, you did what you set out to do um, because those Falco records are not that emotional or um, I don't want to say there's no substance, but they're really, it's more of style. Really right, more right, right. Else, right. Right. So in that regard, you know, but, um, but it didn't, it didn't, what I did, my Falco years didn't really, I love Falco, you know, so yeah. it, didn't, it didn't really have the, you know, it wasn't even as fun as a Falco record or, or um, you know, uh, whatever, whatever sort of sheen my release had wasn't quite as sparkly and you know utterly charming so my not as fun as falco year <laughs> he was charming those those records are charming and i really do think they're under they're under appreciated because he it seemed so simple and it seemed so um forgettable but th those records are are actually quite they're architecturally put together in a really good way yeah yeah and his videos and the you know, just an absolute performer. I have, I have total admiration for that. I, I, love, I love performers who, who nail every nuance. What is your connection? I've always wondered for years what your connection is to Germany. I've always been trying to figure that out. What, what, is, what is your, because you were living in Germany for a while, right? Yeah, I've, uh, I've ostensibly still am. I mean, technically I'm a, I have, I have German residency. Um, uh, don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the next months, year now uh, with, with, with my life in Germany. Um, I, I, you know, I, I went there to do some gigs and um, it was great because we landed in, in Hamburg. That was my first experience of Germany. I was landing in Hamburg on, on Easter Sunday. And of course, my, my main image of Hamburg was based on Beatles, right? Beatles and... and, and right all those black and white photographs, those dirty, you know, dirty images, black and white images. And so, you know, get, get there on Easter Sunday and it's beautiful and it's so green and everybody's in their Sunday finest. All these, all these older women in their, in their, you know, Easter pastel dresses. It was just gorgeous. I had no, I, I did not, I did not expect, expect to see that. You know, I expected the black and white, you know, bombed out, you know, Right. Uh, so, so, uh, so that was kind of shocking, first of all, and and then you know went to 
Berlin a few days later for, for the first gig there. And again, it was a gorgeous sunny day and by the canal and the Turkish market was happening and everybody was out and everybody was almost naked. They're all just getting stoned by the, by the water. And it just, I thought, oh my God, this is, this is Central Park in 1968 or something. You know, this sort of, everybody was so free and groovy. And, you know, and I'm not that free or groovy, but I, I definitely like to stand there and watch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like watching people be free and groovy. Um, and it just made such an impression. I just loved it from the very first moment. And so, you know, I, I was going over all the time to, to play as, you know, several times a year, because um, I was living in England at the time. So it was pretty easy to, to get on a, on, a, on a plane and fly 90 minutes to, to, to Berlin. Uh, so I was playing there quite often and ended up um, moving there. Been living there for coming on nine years now. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's just, Berlin is my favorite place in the world. And, uh, it, it's funny for me because I can't say that my career has taken off there. Uh, I'm, I'm smaller and cultier there than anywhere. Um, I have friends and I have all sorts of musicians I've met, but um, somehow it hasn't clicked for me, but it makes a great base. You know, A, I, I tour Spain a lot or I go to England and tour there. So Berlin's an easy base to travel elsewhere. I'm, I'm in a French band, and so I'm so to see, you know, hop on the train, go go do a rehearsal or recording with the, with the French band. So Berlin's a great base. Plus, I, I do get a lot of work and a lot of writing and recording. That's easy. Um, but it's funny that as a somehow the city itself or Germany, the country, I, I've never really clicked the way I have in a few other places, um, which is fine, man. I just I love Berlin so much anyway. You know, just being there, just going grocery shopping somehow feels like a spiritual experience for me where where is your um in terms of touring where where are you the most in the pocket in terms of your audience like where do you know you will go and they will be there um england and spain have been the best places um and I, again i lived in england for, for five or six years toured everywhere um so England's easy. I mean, again, you can't always guarantee a crowd. I'm, I'm, I'm just a culty character. And so yeah. sometimes I do, sometimes a whole room full of people show up and sometimes it's just a few people that you recognize from the last time. Um, and kind of the same in Spain. I've worked with two, two Spanish labels and then I've also got a, a promoter who's booked me for years. And so there's sort of different circuits depending on the record label or the promoter that I'm working with at the time. And so some nights, you know, again, you're playing somewhere with, with a, a crowd that's waiting to see you. And other times it's whoever shows up or, or nobody shows up or, or whatever. Um, and that's just always been my performing life anyway. And I've, um, I've always had some kind of audience, but it doesn't mean I pull a, a big crowd. You know, or when I do, I'm always shocked and pleased you know um but those yeah. but spain spain and, and england yeah those are the good the good ones for me you know it's interesting to me i always think that that you know we journalists will always dub somebody a culty character right like this is sort of a cult and i always i always wonder what that's like for the cult character you know like in, in other words how does that feel to be in that role um 
I, I don't know if that was what you set out to do. Um, but you know, like my my all time favorite musician is is Pat Fish of the Jazz Butcher. Mm. Um, I mean, he he's a culty character, and and he's you know he's beloved, um, yeah. and he and he's a, a real hero of mine and and a, and a really nice fellow. Um, how does it feel to be sort of one of those culty characters? Like, does, <laughs> is that a, is that does that suit you just fine? Um, it it does in a way, especially these days. I, I you know I'm. I'm 53. I've been doing this so long now that I can't pretend that I'm 22. Uh, you know, you know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. I, I, I have to just, I have to be true to, to whoever I really am or whatever that means. You know, I, I have to be true to the whole career that I've created. I, I, I can't, um, I can't hide my discography, you know? Um, and so yeah, what I mean by that is I can't, I can't go out and, and, tune up my internet presence to make it seem like I have this many followers on Instagram and that many followers on Twitter. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's too late for that. And I don't believe in that. So my cultiness is, is in large part um, about just kind of accepting my, my weird place, my unique place on this earth as the music scene and the whole world itself changes around us so radically. Um, I started out thinking that I was going to be the next Beatles, Bob Dylan, David Bowie, right? And I still, there's still a part of me that believes in that. You know, I still want that huge, huge hit. I never, in that regard, I mean, find me a cult artist who probably doesn't, would, wouldn't mind, you know, a million selling record, right? Because mm -hmm. especially when you think you just want some security. Um, it, it's not so much an ego trip anymore. Uh, it's just you kind of want something that it settles things a little bit for you. Um, but meanwhile, I'm just, I think I'm increasingly happy with the kinds of records I'm making. After all, after making so many records, I feel like I'm learning now in the past few years how to make the records that I want to make. Mm. You know, it's been too easy for me to release too much material and my judgment is not always very sound. I think, oh, that's good. That's fine. That's fine. And I don't, I, I don't think I, work like that so much anymore so i'm curating my work more effectively these days and i'm, pr I'm sort of proud of what i'm doing i feel like i know when i've done something good um and I, i'd like to know that i have an idea when i'm doing something frivolous and maybe don't release it or, or have people around me who say yeah don't don't do that anyway so so the cult thing you know um yeah, sure. It's fine because yeah. I, like, like I said, I can't, I can't, I can tell you, oh yeah, I do really well in Spain and England. I can say that, but I have to, you know, but I also flesh that out by, by acknowledging that, well, that means I might play in front of five people or in front of one person or in front of 500 people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have to be, it's easier to be honest about things rather than trying to pretend uh, to build something up. And so that's the cultiness for me, like just the uncertainty of an audience. I've seen authors who um, will come do book tours and they'll come to one city and two people will be there and the next city, there will be 30. Um, I mean, it's also one of those things where you just don't even know who's showing up. Um, whether they love you or they don't. I mean, it's just hard to say these days, but I'm really interested in what you were saying about the work because I can relate to that. I, as, as a writer, I found with my poetry, for example, that there's a couple of cheap tricks that I have 
that when I write, I know I'm doing them. And as I've got, when I was younger, I would sort of explode onto the page with, with these sprawling long poems. As I got older, they got shorter. And I also noticed I, I became more uncomfortable with those cheap tricks. And to the point where I literally will not allow myself to make them. Um, it slowed the work down, right? In other words, I'm not able to just say, that's okay, I'll throw that on there and just toss out these these um, poems. So I mean, I've been working on the follow-up to my, to my book, which came out in 2014. I think I've got 10 poems um, because I won't allow the bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, it sounds like, like, not that it's bullshit, but it's just that it's not, we know it's not as good as it should be. Um, and just because you can complete it and say, that's good enough, you become more judicious. I think as you get older, we're around the same age and um, life is too short to keep doing that over and over again. So are you finding that what's happening to you um, is that you're becoming a better editor or you're becoming more discerning artistically than, is that what you were kind of saying? Yeah, that's, that's certainly a part of it. Um, I can, can always go back over my my songs and find that at least the one line in, in almost any song where you think oh that was just cheap that was just you know that was an easy rhyme or or it was you know one thing I've I, one thing I've seen in my reviews from time to time over the years from people who aren't that into what I'm doing is like oh he's weird for the sake of being weird and so now I can go back and I sort of see how that could come across when you're just being whimsical or flippant or or just think that you know oh that'll that's a groovy line man it's colorful but you know i can look back on those things and think, yeah but it doesn't have any resonance now it was just it was just it was just too easy to, to I, w words come easily for me i can do things with words i can fill a page with with words and images but it's not the same thing as, as you know filling a page with something meaningful is it you know with a feeling and that's that's maybe that's the key right you want things to resonate for real, you know, I've I've put out too many records. You know, I'm embarrassed by by many of the things I've done, and wish I could go back and you know tidy that all up. But at least I feel like now I'm I am more careful with the Manbird record, especially. I you know we printed a lyric sheet that, to go with it, and I can go through song by song and think, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's oh, this is fine, this yeah. is really good, this is this is how it's supposed to be. Um, it you know sets a standard doesn't mean you know back to that falco thing it doesn't mean that the the lyrics on that are up to this higher standard it means it's like i can see the variability in my work like the falco years is whimsical and it's also probably got a lot of throwaway songs but that's why it didn't get released properly whereas manford yeah these are these are the good songs and these are the ones that go on the record because they're meant to and they, they need to be worked worked into real shape you know? Yeah, and I, I like what you're saying because, because one of the things I always worry about, and I've seen it with some of my favorite people, and I know you have too, where there's this kind of like art, this late career artistic decline. Mm, yeah. um, and that has always worried me because I've watched it. I've seen it happen with amazing people. Um, no need to point out who that is. I mean, because for everyone it's different. But, and there are some people like Tom Waits where it's like no decline at all. Like he's just literally stayed so solid. Um, but that list is, is a short list. Um, what I like hearing from you is that really to not to put too fine a point on it, Anton, but like you're get, it's like you're getting better, hmm. right? You're you're still improving, and 
even for like this podcast, if you go back to the ones from 2018, they sound kind of primitive. Hmm. Um, but I won't take them down because I kind of feel, I, I, I hear what you're saying that you're a little bit embarrassed about some of the work, but I don't think you should be because I feel like it's all telling this kind of story. And I love your work. And um, I don't hear the things that you hear because uh, I'm not the artist, but I do think that for the artist, um, to have that progression play out so publicly, that's a little, I know that's hard, <laughs> harder than a podcast. Um, but, but don't you feel encouraged by the fact that you're refining the craft? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I feel like think some of the things I've released in just recent years have been, you know, like, oh, that's cool. That's a good one. That's good. I, I'm glad I did that. And uh, um, with a few of these records, it will, uh, even, even something like Natural Causes, which was a record that combined remakes of older tunes mm -hmm. with, with new material, that, that was meant partly as an introduction or a reintroduction to my work. So, you know, here's a record for the world. This is a, let's, let's sell a billion copies of this one. This is who I am. But it's still a little bit, this is who I am in terms of marketing. Mm. You know, but I mean, it's a terrible word for it, really, just presentation. Um, uh, but to be able to do Mandard, which is a double album of all new material, and to feel like, you know, the writing is consistent, that's, yeah, I'm really glad to see that. Okay, I did that. that maybe that means I can do that again, or maybe it means I should just stop now, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my heroes is Julian Cope, right? And, um, yeah. When he, I happened to see him on the Peggy Suicide Tour. That's right around the time that I got hooked on his music. And I'd heard one record, Fried, up before that and loved that. Like instant, instant Julian Cope fan when I heard Fried. Uh, and then Peggy Suicide came out and he went on tour and I saw him in San Francisco. So, boom, that's, that's it for life. I'm a Julian Cope fanatic. And, um, and he, he himself says that sort of, if he has one contribution that he's made to the world, it's, it's the, it's the contrast between his work before Peggy's suicide and after Peggy's suicide. Something happened, you know, different drugs, more of the, the right drugs, God knows, but you know, the dolphins could be the swimming with dolphins. But anyway, um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's such a shift, a, a, a cosmic shift in his writing from, from leading up to Peggy's suicide and, and beyond that. And so here's a guy who's still, you know, he's definitely sort of, move back into the underground yeah um, and yet his records are for me are thrilling they might not be as mm, timeless and you don't you don't return to the newer ones every day for the rest of your life but when you do come back to these records and put them on uh, like his new one self civil, civil war it's fantastic if you maybe if you're a fan it's fantastic yeah and so people like that who just he's just on some sort of trip and it's going to stay with him for life he's not going to you know he's not going to write something he's not going to write rubbish it's all absolutely meaningful and it just flows from it clearly comes from the source with a capital s right yeah um, so yeah i mean that's that's something to be as, aspired to and then certainly i see other heroes of mine who you know i don't feel like i, I you know what what is it when Maybe you settle, maybe you do settle into a comfortable audience. You've got your crowd, you know, you've got your people, you know that whatever you do, people are going to just 
say good things about it and they're and they're happy because you're just continuing a legacy mm-hmm. but i'm not a, i'm not a, and that, that means you can kind of get away with you know with the decline in writing you know or maybe it's just it's the spark it's the inspiration sometimes that's that's a big part of it i don't know how that happens or nobody does nobody can can guarantee you know how long the muse sticks around um but um you know so it's it's a little sad sometimes to see people whose work i admire so much but but who haven't been able to do anything so striking in in a while yeah i mean there's no dip in quality it's just there's no it just feels like it's a a move sideways you know yeah like like for example i love jonathan richmond but i i I don't really get thrilled with a new jonathan richmond album i'm not even sure i even seek them out to listen to um and I love him, and I think he's a, a, a incredibly underrated guitar player. He's a great songwriter, but I don't really feel that I've seen the work that has been progression based. It all yeah. feels like kind of like the same thing. There's moments where it veers into this darker territory, which I'm really interested in, because um, I feel like he's an artist who hasn't really acknowledged the darkness, so it comes in weird places. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and those moments have really interesting artistic tension for me. But for the most part. Um, you know, he knows where his bread is buttered, put it that yeah. way. And yeah. so I get it. Uh, I don't fault him for that. And I think, um, but, but yeah, like I haven't seen, I mean, I think Dylan's another guy where it's like, he did have a, a, an artistic decline for sure. But right now he's back, I think he's back to being as vital and strange and wonderful as ever. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. It's too amazing to think about. <laughs> I know. I know it's it's sort of it's sort of one of those things. Um, for you, um, you know, growing up uh, in Sa- you went you went to high school in Sacramento, the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you and I growing up an you know an hour apart um, in terms of geography. I never felt like I really fit in, um, even even when I was accepted. I didn't feel I didn't feel it. Um, did you always feel that you were a, a cult a cult figure even <laughs> even in high school? Because um, I certainly have felt that way. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the words would have been back then because you know, cult figure would have been a bit premature for for just a high school kid. You, you know what I mean? But, You're right. Uh, right. But but yeah, sh- sure. I was a weird little new wave kid. You know, I had the hairstyle. And it's funny. I found this out after I left high school a year early. You know, took proficiency tests and got out. But I came back um, at the request of, of some classmates to play them some music that I'd done. You know, I'd gone off into the world to become a musician, uh, living in a basement, you know, um, with a four track. And people told me when I came back, said, oh man, we were so scared of you. What do you mean? Because I was scared of everybody, right? Right. But because I had a little new wave hairstyle and I hung out you know my my group was a mixture of the little new wavers and the punk rock people and we were just you know i didn't realize that we were a feared group of people and that by default i was thus feared i you know i couldn't i couldn't even get my head around that that why would somebody be afraid of me you know but you know you look back at high school people are just silly like that anyway funny funny to find that out that i was a feared character because of my silly bleached hair you know anyway um yes yeah i mean to, to the heart of your question yeah even even in sacramento and part of the manbird record is kind of this image of returning to my days of glory there when i was a 
in the Sammy's Hall of Fame or I was on the cover of Magpie Weekly or whatever the small town heroics that, that you know, that, that came to me, you know. Um, yeah, people always say, oh, you, you should go to Europe. You should go to Europe. You do well there, you know. Yeah. I, 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 and I obviously I get that now. What I do makes, makes more sense to me over there. When I'm in Berlin, I make sense to me in Berlin or in Spain. I make sense over there. In England, I, you know, um, get on a bus and just have a, a silly bantery conversation with a bus driver in England. You know, you can just, you can make jokes. I, I can joke with immigration officers when I'm flying into Heathrow. Um, and that's, that's always easier for me than, than being in America, being in California, being in Sacramento. I, I, um, I, I still feel, I feel like a foreigner here. Mm. Um, just going to the grocery store and, and kind of do, dealing with the, that sort of chipper, you know, hey, how's your day going? Find everything you need. Can we get a name for that? You know, I just, I, I, I feel always on the spot and I don't, I don't relate to that. You know, in, in Germany, you don't, that's not a part of daily life. You don't have to be cheerful about something. You're just buying coffee. Right. This is how much the coffee costs. You ask for your coffee, you give them money. People can be friendly or not, and it doesn't matter. If somebody's, somebody's not friendly, you don't take it personally. And they're not required to you know, smile at you while you drink your coffee. And so, so that, that's been really comforting for me, you know, that kind of the, the lack of pretense. I, I, so when I'm back here, uh, and like I said, I've been back here for since March, almost six months now. This is the longest I've been back since I moved away in 2006. Mm. So it's really strange, you know, and I'm in a small somewhat conservative town right now and that's yeah of course that's weird of course and, um so yeah i've always i've always felt uh an outsider and i and i don't like i said i mean i i also think of myself as who's meant to sell a million copies someday where's my you know, where's my number one single it's got to happen right i still have that mentality which is very old school um that's fine though you know but uh and it might not happen and that's okay too right but so I still picture this career that's going to be this epic thing that the world will relate to, which is really funny when I pay attention to, wait a minute, but what world are you living in? You're living in a world where everything is auto-tuned. Everybody is auto-tuned, you know? Hey, how's your day going? That's all part of the same thing. Awesome. Awesome. You know, it's, yeah. all, it's all something that I just feel like, okay, I don't even know what English is a language I don't understand anymore when I'm over here. Well, I mean, I think two California guys of a certain age can have this conversation where I can say to you, and for those of anyone who's listening, who's not from here, will, this is instructive, but, and this is true. Californians are friendly and completely full of shit. There's nothing behind the friendliness. It, it literally, it, it goes as shallow as I'm doing awesome, bro. And walk away. Like it really is just that. And we have this sort of adult male that walks around at 45 years old wearing 49ers jerseys with names of players that are 25 years younger than them. And which to me is weird. I don't really understand that. But there also there's a surliness behind the friendliness, which can revert to violence very quickly. And this is the, the part of California that people don't, and I don't know, I can't speak to other states, but um, there is a real coiled anger in Californians. I don't know what that is or if it's just unique and specific to us. Um, 
but like the violence in Sacramento, the violence there, it's there's there is a crime rate there, um, and there is a lot of sort of uh, white guy anger, and I don't I, mean, I don't know if you've experienced that or if you remember that, but it's it's a very weird thing. So that that friendliness, Anton, I've never trusted that friendliness. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to I don't want to veer off too much into this because I'm not an expert. I I'm I'm just a you know highly sensitive freak. You know, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> take the I'm take the world personally anyway. Um, but yeah, when when I when I'm back in in my my hometown, say you know a place that I should be really comfortable with, I'm I'm really tense there. I don't I you know part of it is the superficial thing that I don't relate to. Hey, with the chipperness and there there is there is a, a weird. I mean, it's again it could just be me also. I mean, I get threatened by anything, you know, uh, but. Uh, there's something weird that I don't understand. I can't. I can't analyze it very well. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a, I don't have an analytical mind for things. Really. But you know. can. You can contrast it with your experience in Europe. And I don't think you. I don't think that you. Like you were saying, you don't get that. You don't get that hit when you're in Germany or when you're in Spain or when you're in the UK. In the UK, I can. I mean, okay. I know. You know, that's the funny thing. Is like, uh, you know, just when I lived in Cambridge. Um, we were, we were sort of near Cherry Hinton. We were, out, we were outside the ring road. Um, so in order to, to do anything amusing, you had to kind of walk into town. And yeah, you know, there's always just the youths, you know, the youths bought a, you know, the little corner shop in it. You know, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing? My, my trick, I just don't tell anybody this, but um, the thing that worked for me always in, in England, um, except, well, yeah, in England, not in Scotland, not in Glasgow, but um, the thing that worked for me was just eye contact. You know, I, I can I can give, full-on direct eye contact and the, you know, whoever's coming, coming at you, you know, with a bit of an attitude, you know, eye contact, they just look away, you know, because the Britishness, they, you know, they don't do eye contact like that. So, you, you know, I can, that, that was my defense was just direct eye contact. What a, what a weird thing, right? The vibes. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, but yes, I mean, Germany or Berlin, especially just, it's, I mean, granted in the time that I've been away, there was a, something like a 3,000 person rally, anti-mask rally that was supported by neo-Nazis. So it's not mm. like it's, it's not like, not like my image of Berlin is this pure place where everybody's groovy and has the right attitude and is all, you know, open-minded and liberal-hearted. Um, you know, there's, there's, of course, there's still a mix, but the Berlin that I, that I know and love so well, I feel pretty safe there. And most of my friends, Many of whom are women, also speak to feeling relatively safe there. You go, you go out, you walk, walk around at night, and it's generally, generally cool. Not that, not that bad things don't happen anywhere in the world. And not again, I, I don't feel like I'm an expert on this. Thing. I'm very yeah. subjective, very subjective experience of things. Um, but you know, yeah, it's just the difference when you feel you can go out somewhere and just be be cool at night. You know, it's fine. And, and, um, same for me with Spain. It's always I felt very you see that big bird in the sky well it ain't chicken the only reason you can fly is cause you're chicken here we go
Scott Miller as a sort of 916 Confederate? I mean, did you did you have that sort of bond with him that outsiders from Sacramento did that? Did you did you feel that way towards him? I don't know. I mean, I think by the time I'd met him, he'd moved to the he'd been in the Bay Area for, for quite a while. Yeah. So so I, I sort of had a you know, I knew that he'd you know, gone to Davis. I knew he was from Sacramento, but but he was a Bay Area guy when I first started getting to know him, um, and then it was then he'd come back to town, and whenever he'd have a dentist appointment or 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 Christmas time something like that, then then we'd get together and have coffee. Um, so then I started to kind of get the image of sort of his Sacramento life, and he was seemed to you know because his parents were they were in Carmichael. Um, um, you know, he seemed, and his, his dentist uh, was in the same building as my dentist. So it, it felt very natural. His, his Sacramento-ness felt, it was very comfortable to me. And so I didn't really, I didn't make any sense of, you know, how outside or not he was. He was just Scott Miller. You know, he was from my hometown. He was of the world, you know. So I didn't, I didn't really register, you know, yeah, I mean, any contrast or conflict with things, just more an integration. Yeah, because his work, I, when I listened to Game Theory in high school, I was noticing that his work was doing what, what hip hop started to do, which is sort of like call out your area by area code, yeah. um, you know, and identify what was happening on the street. But he was, he was sort of doing it from the subculture, a, diff, a totally different subculture. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I just wondered if you'd identify with that because it was so local and... Um, and he was clearly an outsider as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, he'll he'll list numerous locations that that, that I know quite well. Like, oh, right. yeah, of course, you know. So it's it's easy to to see that. And, um, 
when listening to the songs, which is, I think, it's quite sweet, you know. Um, yeah, and he also mythologized those places in a way that um, sort of somewhere between, you know, Howell and, uh, you know, an NWA, you know, it's mm -hmm. sort of like, it's just, he was doing the same thing, um, giving it that sort of narrative sheen, which I really appreciated. Um, yeah, yeah. And also his, his biography is really alive in those songs. You can sort of like, he tells the story of his life through those, through those name checking moments. It's pretty yeah. cool, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. places you and I both are very well acquainted with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, in terms of how hard you are on yourself artistically, um, do you give yourself a break or are you, or do you, are you pretty tough on yourself? God, you know, I, I would say sometimes I'm not hard enough, you know, that, mm. Sometimes um, I, but I'm trying to turn that now into just holding on to higher standards and making sure to always work towards those standards. You know, and, um, because like I said, I've, I've released so much material, and and that's that's because that's because music comes so easily to me. You know, lyrics and music and recording. It's just easy to do that to generate more songs. And I certainly like to. I think I've always been expansive in a way. I'm always reaching for other sounds, or, or I'm influenced by anything. You know, and so I'm glad about that. But um, but like I was saying earlier, you still want, you still want. A, a, there has to be resonance. You know? mm. There has to be at least the feeling of meaning. You know, I, I don't have to. I don't have to have a meaning that is literal or that other people can directly identify with. But you just, you just want the idea that at the core there really is something warm, um, and even if you don't know what the language is, uh, you still identify with the tone of something. And so that's that's maybe where I'm either hard on myself or wish I was harder on myself. You know, making sure that the the, the quality of material has has integrity. That's that's the key. Uh, you know, a friend of mine was joking with me years ago, saying, "Oh, you just have no integrity," because you know, I'll just release anything. That really stuck with me, though. And um, and like I said earlier, also, I, I don't always have the best judgment. You know? Oh, look, I made a new song. Hey, everybody, you know, you know, put that one away. You don't have to release everything. And, um, so yeah, maybe maybe a little too soft on myself in some in some ways. Um, I think being being stricter with my standards is 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 exciting. Um, and you know, when we did the when we did the Manbird video, um, there are scenes of me. Oh, I think what was I on a on a little step ladder, um, you know, barely you know supporting myself with my stomach and flapping my arms. And other scenes where um, Julia had built a nest by hand, and I'm sitting out in the nest on the back deck on a very cold night, and we're shooting for a couple hours in the cold. And we talked about that, saying, you know, that kind of effort matters. You know, in in, the, in that case, like a real physical effort. Were you really doing something? You know, you're, you're rather than just well, we can just green screen it later. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than just doing it that way it, it i think that kind of you know whether it's physical effort or, or what but i mean you know that that really matters that that's that's what's gonna i think hopefully gonna last or that's what's gonna make people feel that you you know you mean this um 
another another friend described Scott Miller, his approach to his work as deadly serious. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, because we were talking about my work at the time and, and saying, you know, yeah, you don't, she said, you don't, you don't always take yourself that seriously. And that's the key. And I don't, I, I don't, probably to this day, don't always take myself so seriously. I'm learning finally. Like, oh yeah, this is real. This is my job and this is, you know, this is my legacy that I'm building. Um, and so I do now take what I do seriously but believe it or not it's taken a lot of records in a lot of years and, you know i'm a very whimsical character like hey hey everybody i'm here you know? right so this wacky jokester um, court jester so i mean it's funny because i incorporate in, in my live shows it depends night night from night but but i can i can do comedy i can do on a good night i can do surreal comedy and even in my songs and recordings, and you'll hear humor once in a while. And I think people don't always know how to process humor because if you're funny, that might mean your material is funny or it's not to be taken seriously. So I've, I've, done, I've done it where you get up there and you play a song, you, you, know, you start the show off with a bit of a, some sort of humorous moment and then you start to play the first song and people are laughing because they expect the lines, they, they, think, they think it's meant to be funny and then they realize, oh, what? Yeah. Um, so the fact that humor is, is so vital to me is probably a little confusing for people too, because I don't always, I don't ever explain the joke because there's no specific joke. I just, I find things funny and I take things very seriously and somehow I, I mix that and make art out of it. And I don't, I don't believe anymore that I have to explain it to people. That feels very Robin Hitchcock to me too, where he'll do a sort of Flan O'Brien kind of absurdist story and then he'll play a song that will literally break your heart in a, too many in more pieces than you yeah. knew that it was made up of yeah, yeah. um and so and that balance I've, I've always been fascinated by that balance of tragedy and comedy which are always on the same mask I mean, there's a close relationship between the two of those and um i like that sort of um keeping your fans kind of off balance and emotionally that way right. um, because you get that unguarded moment where you can kind of move them any way you want right um, he's, just, he's absolutely such a master of that oh like he's the like, master yeah yeah it's like it's like monty python and the most wrenching dylan song combined i mean it's yeah. just so hard to and or beatles i mean it's just so hard to explain how brilliant um he does that um but i want to say in defense of you <laughs> Mm. I'm, I'd like to defend you. And I mm. want to say that, and, and for a lot of people who listen to the program who are aspiring um, musicians uh, who are embarking on a career, I do think that the work, you, go, you have to sort of get the work out to get to the work that you're talking about. In other words, if you hadn't made all these albums, and I think they're wonderful. Um, Thank you. <laughs> But I mean, but I told, I understand that like if you know, every author, every director, every they're always tweaking. And here's the new director's cut of Blade Runner. It's like how many are there? Um, well, no one's ever satisfied, right? But for you, don't you think that part of the process is to get the music out, to release the art? Um, and yeah, you've been quite prolific. But now that you've gotten yourself to this place, you might not have gotten there had you not been so prolific. Sure, sure, of course. I mean, there's there's no way to really know what you know, what right. if this or that. But right. but um, but sure, sure. I mean, um, and I, I do. 
at least recently, rely on the experience of of each record that I'm making. You know, wanting <clears throat> wanting the whatever record is at hand. You want it to be special. You want it to be different. Um, you know, maybe it relates to the previous record. I did a I did a trilogy um, of of releases. You know, right before Manbird, um, and you know, I, I, the, each record was in relation to it. It's not that there are so many themes from you know between these shared between these three records, um, but rather each record was meant to be one thing and turned into another. So it became the mm -hmm. Transfiguration trilogy. That was what a friend of mine called it, um, and and thus these three records were bonded. And with that in mind, um, the third record was pretty much a piano record, which I'd never done. And so being able to, to follow up a very jangly 12-string guitar and Mellotron record with a piano record, um, working, working out one thing in relation to what just came before it, or the influence of, of what came before, I mean, I, that, that's now I guess a big part of how I how I work. So I am influencing myself. Um, my last record informs how I might want to make the next one. And of course, part of the Transfiguration trilogy was that you know the third record, the piano record, was meant to be just industrial noise because I'd made this really uh, natural causes was a very very pretty record, intentionally pretty. After Trump got elected. You know, and everyone thought we're going to have to be punk rock now for the rest of our lives. Here we go. I thought, no, I'm going to put out something lovely. I'm going to do something that's just positive. And so I made a record called Natural Causes, which is just it's a really lovely sounding record. The 12 strings and the Mellotrons and the synths and everything. But then me being me, I, I thought um, my next record is going to be an industrial just swamp. So I started off trying to do that. And I, I made it about 20 seconds in before I started writing real songs. And the next thing you know, it's a piano record instead. And it's a piano record that's, that does kind of speak to something else in my life that was happening. I'm not spelling it out in the record. Nobody knows, um, but there's a resonance to that. So again, these records are influencing each other. And then this is leading up um, to, to this Manbird double album, you know, this epic double album, except right before Manbird earlier this year, this other record, Candy versus Thrust, comes out. And that's, that's another one of these introduction or reintroduction records, um, taking a bunch of old songs plus some new material, re-recording them with, my, with two of my current bands and presenting it in a way um, on, a, on the Bigster label, in a way that um, just says, oh, here, here, if you didn't really, if you've heard about Anton, but you didn't really like him before, He's made you a really nice, likable record. Here, have it. And so everyone loved that record. The people who didn't like Anton Barbeau like that Anton Barbeau record because it's likable. And, and, and that's, not, that's not meant in a facetious way. I don't know. I, 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 I'm yeah. not, I, I, it's, it's very, you know, again, it's made with integrity because those tracks, are, they're honoring the songs, they're honoring my bands. And it's trying to honor an audience that may not have found a way in. I'm trying to help a new audience towards my work. That said, Manbird does not cater to that crowd necessarily at all. It's not trying to win over. You know, it's not trying to, it's, it's, it, Manbird is meant 
you know, I don't know who it's meant for. You know, um, it's just its own entity. Um, and that's, again, that's in a bit informed by these previous releases. You know, it's, it's going to be its own thing. It's, it's, it's not reflective of, of all the influences that I've accrued over the years. It's, it's not, whereas the, the previous one, the Kenny versus Thrust record, some of those songs are quite old. And so you can say, oh my gosh, that was my midnight oil period. Oh my gosh, you know, or, or here I'm trying to do a soft boys thing here, or this is Dylan, you know, the influences are so clearly painted on my sleeve. In, in my in my earlier days, um, whereas with Manbird, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, I can pinpoint the influences on this track or this track, but no one's going to hear it except for me. Mm. Um, but um, so yeah, I mean, I guess all of the records that have come before they all lead up to. Um, I mean, yeah, they'll lead up to whatever's going on now. As long as you're aware of that, that's hopefully, hopefully that's helpful you know, in shaping. So you're not repeating yourself. Another, another, another friend of mine told me some years ago, well, yeah, you know, you've put out a lot of records and this is somebody who's also put out a lot of records. Just saying, you know, after a certain point, you know, you got to have a gimmick. You know, I, I, I could, you, could, you could take that in a crass way, but I got it. You know, you, you have to do something to make each record special if yeah. you're going to just keep cranking them out. And especially if, in my case, I don't have a big audience. I, I always, there's always the risk that I release a weird record like my Antronica records, my synth pop stuff. Mm. And I alienate people. I'm like, oh, what's he doing now? We don't, you know, for people who aren't into that, you know, I'm, I might alienate five fans and then pick up two new fans. And so it's not like, not like my audience follows every single thing I do. You know, it's a, it's a delicate balance, you know. Well, as, as you move forward into a world that is more and more uncertain, um, do you find there is a growing sense of dread or fear around how you make a living you know like these sort of like revenue anxieties um because when i first talked to musicians in april um nobody was that stressed out because they were sort of like this has been great because i had this period of time to write um, where i normally would not have and i'm getting a lot of work done um as the months have passed um that seems to have worn off and people seem to be a little more I'm concerned now about their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I spoke to the singer of Neon Trees and he was saying some bands won't even exist when, when this is all over. Yeah. Um, in, in terms, in, for you, um, where have you landed with that and how is it affecting you on a day-to-day -day basis? I've, I don't know how sustainable this is, but at least in my case, coincidentally, when I got back here, there was a whole new batch of material for the French band that I work with. Uh, and in this case, um, as I'm, I'm being paid as a, you know, as a band member to help um, create this next record. I'm then doing it all from right here. You know, this swivel chair, you know, is where all of that work on my end got done. And so that was great. You know, every day I was working on a new song. And um, so that was a great way, great, great to know that we can do it that way. And I think it helps the fact that that band started off in the room together. We started off recording together, rehearsing together. They, 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 they'd come to Berlin, I'd go to Paris. We were physical entities in each other's presence before 
we made this second record, which was made in pandemic conditions. Everybody, every, every man for himself, you know, but at least that was, that was how I started, you know, it, it, you know when the pandemic hit and I was pushed over to California. I, I had work um, every day for a month or two, you know, and that was great. And uh, uh, since then I've also, I've signed up for uh, some with a company that, you know, that hire, you, know, you, you hire your services as a musician. And I've had, I'm on my, my, I think my second job for that now. And that's interesting, you know, as a, as a guy for hire realizing, and again, this comes back to taking yourself seriously, but I realized, oh, I can do this. I am real, you know, it's like, you know, that, that whole imposter syndrome, that yeah. definitely, we, I think a lot of us really get that. And I definitely do, you know, the idea that you're going to find out someday that, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not actually who you are or you're not anything. And so being able to do work for other people and just immediately take it seriously and, and listen to the result and think, Oh, that works. Oh, Oh, I'm good at this. Oh, how the hell that happened? You know? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the experience of that, uh, of, of being able to work from home, work on other people's projects across the, across the globe. <clears throat> and create something for other people that, that hopefully they're happy with. Um, I don't know, uh, the, the most recent one is a guy who, it's his first song ever. He just wrote, wrote some lyrics and said, can you help me turn this into a song? And it's quite touching really to, to be able to do that. Um, yeah, he might hate it when I'm done, when I send it to him, but. Uh, so I'm wondering, look, there must be a lot of people like that out in the world, you know? yeah. or or in the, the synth pop community. Um, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll be able to advertise myself as a vocalist. Say, look, you know, if you've got all these tracks, but you're not a singer, I can I can do that. Um, so I don't know how I don't know how aggressive I want to be on that front, but at least I can see it as a as a possible um, ongoing source of income, and I'm I'm really glad to sort of. That that's coincidentally happening um, for me, um, you know. Because otherwise, otherwise I would be going back and forth and to to Europe, and you know, with Berlin as my base, I well this year I would have um, I would have had gigs in Berlin right before flying over here, but those got canceled, and then I would have flown back there and gone to France and done a few, you know, well-paid gigs. Um, and by by well-paid, I just mean by my very modest standards, right? But, yeah. but, but, but a, a few hundred euro goes a long way, you know? Yeah. And so that would have then put me on a train to Spain where I would have done a five or 10 date tour. And I would have come back to Berlin with my pocket full of, of my, my rent money and so forth. Um, and then I would have come back here and we would have gone to, done a show in Burbank. We would have done this and that thing. We would have just done sort of regional shows around here. Um, and so forth. Then I would go back to, to I, I was due to go back to England next month, do a, a, a festival, which I would have, you know, tied a tour around and again would have come back with a little, you know, pocket full of money because I know at the festival I would have sold a bunch of stuff. And at the other gigs, I'd have man birds to sell. So I would have, you know, it's easy to picture that I would have made, made my income, my, my European income would have been sorted out, no problem. So that's, that's a moot point now, right? I, mm. if, if I go back, it's to do other things because I'm not going to be making any of that money, you know, 
I'm not, you know, my situation in Berlin is, is, is I'm at the mercy of very generous people there. So I can go back there and if I can't afford the rent for a month, I still, I, I'm still have, have a place to stay, mm. you know, um, but, um, and, and the same here, you know, um, this is Julia's family farm. So I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not paying rent. I'm just here and able to just make music all the time and try to find, you know, income attached to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mixed, sorry, it's a very long answer. No, no, I, I'm curious. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. But, but obviously gigs, gigs aren't happening. I do have a Patreon uh, account and that's been really fun. I quite like that. Um, that it, because of the behind the scenes nature, I get away with a lot, you know, but, but we really try to honor the people who are spending monthly money on my career, basically keeping me going during this. I mean, that's my, that's my reliable income right now is Patreon. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're offering, we do little house concerts that we film here and then we submit them a few songs at a time or, or I do, the odds and end tracks or remixes or whatever, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but just sort of behind the scenes stuff that you, you don't know that you want to share with the, the bigger audience because maybe they're not interested or maybe it's too confusing or something like that. But, but with Patreon, it's, you know, you know the people are there because they want to be there and they're there because they support what you're doing. So kind of giving back a sense of my real life, um, it's quite rewarding for me and I, I hope for, for, the, for those fans, you know. So yeah, I'm finding some ways to, to, to do it, but I also have, I really do have the generosity of the people who, who, who keep me going. Yeah, I, I have to thank I have to thank these people. You know, can we um, plug the Patreon page right now for people at home who don't know where where would they find it? Um, sure. Um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, no problem. No, no, take your time. And uh, I, because I thought, you know, why not? Why not send them there? Uh, since we're on the topic of it. Um, oh, it's easy. It's Patreon.com/slash/AntonBarbeau. That was that was too easy. That was terribly easy. <laughs> I um, should know. I should know these things. But that's that's how I maintain my cult status is by never knowing where any of my own stuff is. Yeah, I mean, Anton, that wasn't that complicated. I think you should probably know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's very cool. And I'm glad to hear that, that, um, that that's going well. And, you know, I mean, I love Man Bird and I love, I've always admired your work. I love what you do. You. And, you know, you, you are of incredible value. And I, and I think that you, um, the things that you're saying are, are quite resonant for me because I think we all do suffer from an imposter syndrome. Like, even people in a marriage feel that they're an imposter, people at their job, people with their friends. Um, it's a uniquely human condition that I don't think squirrels deal with or, <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. We, we seem to be, uh, uh, you know, like as an animal, we're very unique in that we, we doubt ourselves so much. And, um, you know, I think sometimes like when you do your art is the place where you feel that you're, um, the strongest in the world, perhaps, you know, or the, it's, it's your pocket. Um, me in front of a microphone has always been, I'm much more comfortable here than I am uh, out in the world. Um, but nevertheless, you, you find your places and you, and you operate from there. Yeah, cool. I've always, I've always appreciated how you operate, man. Yeah. 
it's true. You, you find your place if you're lucky. And sometimes yeah. it takes it takes us decades. Yeah. You have to you have to keep being alive and keep being in the world and being in yourself and paying a little bit of attention. And then you then you might get lucky and you find what your place is. And um, I mean the funny thing is maybe that, that coincides with you get older and you get a little crabbier and you get more determined to do your thing in your way. And that means everybody else who's also trying to do their thing in their way, you know, you have to you have to work with that now instead of when you're in your twenties and everyone's just groovy, you know, and that like the, the scene I described when I first got to Berlin where everyone was topless and groovy and just yeah. smoking weed by the canal. You know, that's, that's great, but that's not the, the reality that, that we live in. You, know, you have to figure out how to, to, to compromise and work with the people that are also, you know, maybe feeling that they're imposters or, or, or work with the people who are also getting crabby and set in their ways and, you know, um, and finding out who they are but I thought I was this person 10 years ago. Well, you were maybe that person 10 years ago, but right. now you, you know, we're, all, we're all evolving and the world is shifting in such old, pretty frightening ways all around us all the time. So we have to remember that and take care of, I mean, not, that we, not that we forget, but we have to you know, bear that in mind. We're talking about this sort of that feeling of threat or violence you know, that's lurking. Everyone's tense, everyone is wound up and freaked out all the time. And if I go out and I see somebody not wearing a mask, uh, you know, yeah. so, so we have to remember that, it, you know, on one way or another, we're all sharing that freaked out feeling. We've got to try to remember to be good to each other somehow, you know, and we're lucky if we're lucky when we have people that we're close to that, that we love and that love us. And we're really lucky. Not everybody has that all the time. And so it's hard to remember to kind of be nice to people. I, it's not as fun, is it? You know, but you have to remember that, you know, that we're all kind of faking it. You know, somehow uh, yeah and, and i mean for me getting older has been the the big shift it's not that i'm crabbier it's that i'm firmer with what i will accept and will not accept and i'm not as deferential as i used to be um but i gotta tell you like when i would read hardy boys books when i was a kid and they would talk about mean mr roberts across the street I'm now sympathetic to mean Mr. Roberts yeah, in a yeah. way that I wasn't before. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, in, the, in, the, in the Manbird video, we, we drove around Sacramento. Um, you know, I'm driving and I'm narrating. Julia has got her phone out the window because this is all during the pandemic, right? So we're, yeah. we're, we're all by car. And we drove down some, some of the old streets that I lived on as a kid. And, and you know, one house is a beautiful house with turrets and all this stuff on the, on the front. I said, oh, that's, that's old Mrs. Willard. You know, you know from the name, old Mrs. Willard. She's going to be the mean lady. Oh. She's the mean lady with the white hair. Old Mrs. Willard. Oh, you know, everyone's afraid of her as a kid. And just like you're saying, I, you know, the, one of my last encounters with her, she was sweet. The only time I'd ever seen her be sweet. But you remember that, oh, my gosh, everybody is probably actually okay sometimes. And that, you know, if somebody gets cast as old Mrs. Willard, you know that means she's the evil character in the story. But chances are she's not that's right that's exactly yeah. right yeah I had, I took... there was a there's a woman who who lived on this, this across the street from where my dad is and for years when i was still there you know she was just just a, a horrible neighbor just a terrible person it seemed um and sunday mornings at about 8 a.m it was either I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston or um, something by Stevie Nicks or whatever, but it was full volume to where 
you know, the windows of our house were shaking and you could hear the windows of their house shaking. And, and this is Sunday morning and it's like a bad scene. And there were other bad scenes. And I, I called the cops once because I was worried about the kids and so forth. And, you know, this went on for years, just, just an awful, awful person, just, you know, despised kind of thing. And then one day she showed up on my front porch asking for help and explained that she mixed her medications and da 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 da. And I ended up over at her house with her grandkids because she was so out of it. She said, you just need to wait here until my kids get home because I, I can't, I, I, I've screwed everything up and I can't function. And you know, it's one of those moments you have insight and you know, realized, oh, she's just an incredibly messed up person. She's not meaning to be evil and horrible. She's not meaning to be the, the, the bitchy neighbor that we hate. She's a messed up human being who can't right. function and is the only thing that's keeping her alive is a list of medications. Mm. And, and she screwed that up. And so I had this really shocking insight into her life and into the life of everybody in that house. And yeah, after that, she came over. She was apologetic for everything ever. And from that point on, it's like, it's just like, oh my gosh, empathy. You know, that, that sort of human thing happens. And we forget that easily we don't you know that's what that's what's going on in politics that's what's going on in, in in the trump universe that is what it is like empathy is is, is verboten right that's you right know? that's right and as, as you get older i mean empathy and perspective are two things that you develop that you don't have when you're 17. right right it's easier to categorize mean mr wheeler across the street and not think like hey that guy's wife died and he's been yeah. miserable for 30 years yeah. um you don't you don't think that way you're you're not able to um and you know i, I think when you're younger you just don't that empathy is is underdeveloped i think and it sort of um it starts to emerge when you become guys like us and that's kind of a, a um a nice thing i think yeah you know there's there's a scene i, I you know i don't I, I try to avoid going to the supermarket if i can help it because i get too stressed out i get and i'm you know i'm not pleasant when i get stressed but so julia went shopping for us the other day and there was a woman in front of her not wearing a mask and somebody else came in and there's some sort of conversation about this and the woman not wearing a mask said well i only have one lung it's like oh again again it's like you, you just you make the assumption that you're not wearing a mask you are you know, you're putting everybody at risk and you're a thoughtless, careless person. Okay, you actually have a real frightening reason that you can't wear a mask. Okay, okay, we understand, you know. It's so hard to, to, to even find these things out most of the time. We're just, we're, it's just all about judging and, and condemning. Yeah. This, this, this. yeah, most of the time you won't even know that. I mean, that's just right. something you wouldn't even know. Right, so, um, so I would be the one instead see, seeing that woman in the store and just hissing at her through my mask. Right. You know, <laughs> that's what I do. I, I do that, it works. It really picks people out. <laughs> hissing through a mask. Yeah, it really um. works. was a really good conversation with uh, Anton. I enjoyed that. Mr. Anton Barbeau. You can find him online. No curveballs here. AntonBarbeau.com B-A-R-B-E-A-U dot com. Check it out. His site is really cool. Lots going on in his camp. Always. 
He's a busy, busy man. I'm, uh, I'm not as busy, but there's some busyness always bubbling in my camp, alexgreenonline.com, and uh, see what's going on with me. Of course, if you listen to this program, I'll just tell you, uh, but I could always, always uh, use a little web traffic. So pop on over and say hi. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available now on, not now, always. I'm acting like it's a new thing. On all podcast platforms, we've always been there. And uh, we're, we're happy if you just go where you're comfortable and uh, subscribe, leave a rating, tell a friend, mix it up, whatever order you do it in. We'd be very grateful. Bombshellradio.com is where you go to find out what's happening with us and uh, what makes our radio station tick. That's all the businessy stuff I have for you. Uh, I do want to thank you, as always, for supporting and listening to this show week in and week out. Let's close things up with a longer listen to Anton Barbeau's Across the Pond from the Man Bird album. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. One of the new wave boys I was no punk rock legend in the wings But bits of broken toys I took my teenage temper out on things One of the new wave boys Across the drama pond we go From LHR to SFO the Richmond Bridge is crumbling Across the drama pond Me in my tight black jeans I rode that moped like a minor god I never left the grid for fear I'd lose my innocence abroad Me and my tight black jeans Across the drama pond to tell From LAX to TXL And a diamond herring go to hell Across the drama pond farewell we see our black here sometime soon Milk and cookies, old cartoons Across the drama pond, hello Across the drama pond Robbing headache on a ten-hour flight And you can't feel your fingers or your toes You're running late, the life won't wait There it comes and here it goes Now back in Bakersfield, I grew a hip-hot Billy Gibbons beard A cowboy debonair, I cried out, finally, Brian Wilson weird Look, I'm a balladeer Across the drama pond we go From LHR to SFO The Richmond Bridge is crumbling Across the drama pond we sing Across the drama pond you tell
Across the drama pond we sing 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 Across the drama pond we sing